Well, as I mentioned, we are going to continue on here looking at what it is that causes Jesus to rejoice. You'll recall that he has sent out the 70. They've come back and they're like, oh, things have just been going great. I mean, we've, we've gone out, we've done, we've done great miracles, and why even the demons are subject to us. And Jesus says to them, well, that's, you know, that's all good, but if you want to truly rejoice, what I want you to truly rejoice in is that your name is written in the land's book of life. Truly rejoice in the eternal perspective because that's what actually matters. It doesn't matter that you may have success here on earth. Be good. Hopefully life will go good. Um, Who doesn't want life to go good? But ultimately what matters is not how well this life does or doesn't go. Uh, For many folks, this life actually doesn't go all that good. It may actually go pretty difficult. But that's okay. What really matters is eternity. I mean, it, it really is true, right? It's not that life is short, it's that you're dead for just so long. Um, eternity is forever and ever and ever, and that's what matters. If this life is difficult and this life is hard and, and standing for God is hard, well, it is. But this life is just really quickly over. And then Jesus goes on and says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So the only people who are going to know the truth about the kingdom and the truth about God and the truth about who God is, the truth about the gospel, the only people who are going to know that are those to whom the Son wishes to reveal If God doesn't want you to know the truth, you're not going to know it. Jesus reveals it to the humble. He reveals it to those who repent. He reveals it to those who come to God and say, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. So here we see Jesus rejoicing. And remember, Jesus, we know him as the man of sorrow. The man who is acquainted with grief, which... It's not surprising, right? I mean, think about this for just a moment. Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, existed for eternity past, perfectly happy. Perfect happiness, perfect joy, perfect fellowship, perfect in their harmony and unity. We can't even imagine what in the world was going on. We, we, hard to even think about what the Godhead in its fullness and in its total satisfaction existed. But God decided, all right, I'm going to actually create a world. And in that world, I'm going to put mankind in it. I'm going to make man in my own image. I'm going to give him will and emotion. And I'm going to allow him to make choices. God knew before the foundation of the world that when he did that, when he created other sentient beings, the angels and man, rebellion was going to occur. God knew it. God did it anyway. And he knew, because Jesus is crucified before the foundation of the world, that the moment was going to come when the Son was going to leave heaven. I mean, picture this. Jesus appears, by the way, in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord in a variety of places, right? Theophanies. Jesus appears. When Jesus is in heaven, everything is going perfectly for him. The angels worship him. His word is law. This is like, Perfection. He walks away from that 
lays aside his deity, comes down into this world, and is born in a family in total obscurity into a podunk little town. And if you've been to Bethlehem, it's still a podunk little town. And he's born to a family that's so poor, when he's born, they literally put him in an animal feeding trough. That's his crib. This is the Lord of the universe. Comes down, humble, meek, lowly, born to a poor family. Grows up in obscurity. When he finally stands up and declares that he is their Messiah, baptized by John, this is the one, John says, this is, this is the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the earth. Um, his hometown tries to kill him. His own family rejects him. Remember, remember the time when Jesus is in there speaking and the house is just packed and they come to him and they say, hey, your mother and your brother are outside. They, you know, basically your mom is here to take you home. <laughs> You're just pushing a little too hard here. And Jesus, his own family, is like, hey, you, gotta, you really got to back this off here a bit. His family doesn't understand. His nation doesn't understand. It gets to the place in his ministry where the religious leaders, who, by the way, never submitted to the, the baptism of John. They didn't repent. The religious leaders got to the place where it's like, if you follow Jesus, we're going to throw you out of the synagogue. And in that culture and in that nation, to be thrown out of the synagogue, and if you've been thrown out of the synagogue and you've got a business, no one's going to be visiting your business anymore. I mean, you're just ostracized from society. No wonder Jesus is a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And of course, we know ultimately he's going to get to the place where they're going to crucify him. That's where this is all going to go. Oh, he's got great crowds. Yeah, folks want to come and watch and see the show. And, and I mean, after all, if you're sick, he'll heal you. And if you're hungry, he might even feed you. And you know, He's done that a few times. So the crowds come, but is there actual repentance? Uh, yeah, not, not so much. And in fact, the longer the ministry goes, it seems the less repentance there is. So by this point in Jesus' ministry, you know, he stopped talking about the coming of the kingdom. He's not talking about that anymore. He's not talking about the coming of the king. In fact, he's looked at his disciples and said to them, okay, remember Peter finally figures out, this is just the last chapter, Peter finally figures out, I know you are, you're the Christ, that's right, and don't tell anybody. We finally figured it out, why don't we tell anybody? Yeah, because it's too late. The nation has rejected me and I am now on my way to the cross to be delivered unto men and to be crucified. But don't worry, I'll raise from the dead. Of course, they weren't, they weren't sure exactly what he meant by that. In order to understand any of this, you had to be humble. You had to be meek. You had to come to Jesus, and you had to come to him with repentance. You had to come to him and say, I don't meet the standard of the kingdom of heaven. The fact is that the people who rejected him were the proud and self-righteous, and we know that they were judgmental and hypocritical, and they would, to save their own skins crucify Jesus, thinking that, wow, better for an innocent man to die than for us to lose our place and position in this nation. That's who he condemned. Those folks, well, they got, they, they did not get the light of God, right? They, they did not understand who the son was, and despite the fact that they had Moses and thought that they knew all there was to know, they didn't really understand who the father was either. If they had understood who the father was, if they had understood who Jesus was, if they were actually the children of Abraham, Jesus will say to them, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. 
who in the world do you make yourself out to be? Are you older than Abraham? Um, yes, actually, before Abraham was, I am. And that's the Old Testament name for God, I am. That's what he tells Moses. And they pick up stones to stone him. Not surprisingly, of course. But here he is trying to explain to them exactly who he is. Do they repent? Do they fall on their knees? Do they say, God has actually sent us this great messenger? No, they don't. They don't. Why? Because they will not repent. They will not turn. But there are those who do. The meek, the lowly, the poor. These are the ones that Jesus calls. I mean, look at the disciples, right? Fishermen, tax collectors. These are the common folk, and this is who Jesus calls. So, in today's passage, he turns to his disciples and says to them privately. We're going to see, we're going to see in this passage, I, I'll read the whole thing. So, he says to them privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. So we're going to look for a second at Jesus having private conversations with his disciples, which is just kind of interesting all on its own. We're going to see that the blessing of God is on those who are poor in spirit, and we're going to see that we should appreciate the day and age in which we live. They should have appreciated the day and age in which they lived, and we're going to look at, at that. So Jesus turns to his disciples and, and speaks to them privately. There are things that Jesus says to his disciples that he doesn't say to the world. Now, eventually, right, the moment will come and he will say to you, whatever I have spoken to you in private, I want you to stand up and declare from the rooftop. But for the moment, he is going to turn to his disciples and he is going to say things to them that he doesn't say to the whole world. And, and of course, he's going to look at them and go, are you paying attention? Are you, are you watching what's actually happening here? He turns to them privately. At this moment, when he is finally rejoicing, which, by the way, this is the only time in the Gospels that it says Jesus rejoices. He is a man of sorrows. But at this moment, as he's watching the sovereignty of God come forth, and his 70 disciples have gone out, probably the 12 are there, and maybe a few hundred who are actually paying attention. Jesus is rejoicing in his spirit that the kingdom of God, like leaven, is in fact going out and it's getting down what it needs to get done. And he looks at them privately and says, are you paying attention to the moment we're in? Quietly. He says it privately. God is willing to have conversations with us. You know, the, the Bible is an open book. Anybody can read it. It's not like it's hidden here. But the fact is, do you actually read it? Believers read it, and the message is there, and there is a sense in which it is a private conversation between us and God. It's an open book. You can, you can get up and go ahead, declare the Bible to whoever you want, and you will discover that there's actually only a select group of people who have any appreciation whatsoever for what the Bible really says. There's a whole pile of people who would like to twist it and turn it and get it to reflect whatever it is they think. But to actually get the message of God, come to find out, well, it actually does require a work of God. Which is why Jesus turns privately to his disciples and he says this. Now, you may say, well, wait a minute. God is not a respecter of persons, right? And of course, God is not a respecter of persons. 
what does, what does it actually mean to be a respecter of persons? Well, that term is used in a variety of places. Matthew twenty two sixteen. 16. Um, they send disciples to Jesus along with the Herodians, the, the Pharisees, along with Herodians. And they say to Jesus, teacher, we know that you are truthful and that you teach the way of God and truth and defer to no one for you are not partial to anyone. That's true. Jesus is not partial to anyone. Uh, what does it mean to be partial? We go back to the Old Testament. We can look there. When Moses wrote the Old Testament, and as the prophets prophesied to the nation of Israel, partiality, uh, Deuteronomy sixteen nineteen: you shall not distort justice. You shall not be partial. You shall not take a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and perverts the words of the righteous. To be partial, to, to be a respecter of persons, is you take bribes. Well, who gives you bribes? Well, the rich. They're the ones with the money. You are a respecter of those who are rich, who are powerful, who are well-connected. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be very careful what you do. For the Lord our God will have no part in unrighteousness or partiality or the taking of a bribe. Job says, Who who shows no partiality to princes nor regards the rich above the poor? For aren't they all the work of God's hands? And of course, Peter gets around to saying, And if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on the earth. To be a respecter of persons, to have partiality, is to be a person who, who looks at people's station in life, who looks at who people are, who look at their connections, who look at maybe their political connections or their material connections. Um, there, in theory, is not supposed to be two tiers of justice. Sometimes you read the news and get to thinking that, you know, I've watched people who seem powerful and well-connected, and they commit crimes that I'm pretty well aware that if I did the exact same thing they did, I'd be in jail for a very long time. They don't seem to serve any jail time at all. How is that? Well, that's showing partiality. That's being a respecter of persons. You know, folks who get pulled over by the police, and they're standing on the side of the road, and they they look at the police officer and say, do you have any idea who I am? Uh, Those are people who expect to be shown partiality. Uh, You'd like like to think, you know, you you know better than to act like that, but there are people who actually do act like that. And there are people who actually get away with that. And, you know, uh, they're who knows what, you know, a child of a senator or something, you know. They they, uh, the rules don't apply to me. Okay, here's the deal. When you stand before God, none of that is going to avail you anything. God shows no partiality. He doesn't care what school you went to. He doesn't care who you got a degree from. He doesn't care how much money you have. He doesn't care what what company you worked for. God doesn't care. God is not impressed. God is not partial. God shows no partiality. God is one who is going to execute judgment on this world without regard for anyone's person. Come the great white throne judgment, it doesn't matter whether you were a dictator and could, with a word, 
massacre millions and any number of dictators have, you're not going to stand before God and have any of that power. You're going to stand there and you're going to tremble just like everyone else. You're going to be held in no higher regard than the least person that by your word was butchered. You'll, you'll stand no higher before God. And those folks that we know that maybe you've tried to share the gospel with someone and instead of them politely letting you know that they're really not interested in anything religious, rather than be polite, they become haunty. They, they ridicule you and denigrate you and, and, and tell you, oh, don't worry, when I, when I get to hell, we're going to have a party with my friends. That's what we're going to be doing in hell. Yeah, really? Okay, let's see when you stand before the Lord of heaven and earth. Let's see how your haunting goes then. What, will you defy God to throw you into a hotter place in hell than you were already deserving of? Where is all your brave braggadocious then? Because the fact is, everyone will stand before God and all of that bravery will go away. God is not a respecter of persons. That means that God cannot be bribed, God cannot be impressed, God cannot be cowed by anyone's position or power. God doesn't pay attention to that. You know what God does pay attention to? A humble and contrite heart. That's what God pays attention to. Those who repent. Those who recognize that God is righteous and we aren't. Those who come to God and say, I am a sinner. That's the people who God listens to. Salvation is available to everyone. It doesn't matter how proud or how haunty you are, or, or it doesn't matter. I mean, the gospel is still available to you. The gospel is available to everyone. But only those who will humble themselves will actually hear the gospel. These are the ones to whom Jesus turns to, and he turns to his disciples privately. And, and I mean, picture this. Here is God himself turning to you and saying something privately. He's looking at you going, okay, I just want to share a little something with you. Just, just kind of like an editorial comment in the middle of this ministry that is going on. All this stuff is happening. People are being healed and, the, and Jesus is preaching the gospel. And, you know, but he turns to his disciples it's like, hey, I've got a little something that I just want to say to you. I just want to speak for a moment just to you. Now, of course, we have a record of it. It's right here in the scriptures. It's not like it's a secret, but it's just to the disciples. Here's what the scriptures say about wisdom. Proverbs chapter 1. This is wisdom personified. Listen, this is the voice of God. The voice of wisdom is the voice of God. Wisdom shouts in the streets. She lifts, she lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. This is what she says. How long, O naive ones, will you love simplicity? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing. And fools hate knowledge. Turn at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I'll make my words known to you. And this is wisdom. I'm willing to give wisdom to anyone who wants it. Stop scoffing. Stop being naive. Stop hating knowledge and just listen. Wisdom is there. It's available. But because I called and you refused, 
I stretched out my hand, and you didn't pay any attention. You neglected all my counsel. You didn't want my reproof. Well, I'll laugh at your calamity. I'll mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes on like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come on you, well, then, then you'll call on me. I won't answer. You'll seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Why? Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they're going to eat of the fruit of their own ways, and they'll be sated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive shall kill them, and the complacency of the fools will destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely and shall be at ease from the dread of evil. Wisdom is available. It's out there. The gospel is preached. The scriptures, my goodness, we have more copies of the scriptures than we know what to do with. They're out there. They're available, if you'll take them. And Jesus speaks privately to his disciples, but you know who can be his disciple? Anybody. So yeah, he speaks privately to his disciples, but anybody can be his disciples. Jesus goes on to say to them, Blessed are your eyes which see the things which you see and to hear the things which you hear. Understand, he's looking at him going, Do you guys, are you guys paying attention to the time in which you live? Do, do you really get what's going on here? The Messiah himself has actually arrived on the scene. He's speaking to the 70. Well, yeah, you're thrilled that the demons are, are in subjection to you, but don't just stop and think about that. Look at the bigger picture of what's going on here. Look at the eternal perspective. Because what you're seeing and what you're looking at and what you're hearing is the life of God himself as a man. When you speak to Jesus, you're literally speaking to God. Are you listening? Are you you listening to what you're hearing and, and really looking at what you're seeing? Do you have a proper appreciation for what's occurring right in front of you? For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see. And they didn't get to see them. And to hear the things which you hear, and, and, and they didn't get to hear them. All those faithful people, all of those saints of God, from the time of Adam right up until the time of Jesus. I mean, Adam and Eve... When Eve has her firstborn son, she says, God has, I've gotten a man-child from God. God has helped me bring forth this child. And she's thinking, maybe, maybe this is the one. I mean, God promised that he was going to send a deliverer. I mean, maybe this is the deliverer. She's looking for the Messiah. Um, it was Cain, so, <clears throat> sorry, not so much. That he, he was not the Messiah. But from the first human child ever born. People have been looking for the Messiah. Just waiting. Just waiting. And Jesus is looking at his disciples going, do you have an appreciation for this? Noah never saw the Messiah. Abraham, great man of God, great great father of our faith, he never saw the Messiah. Job, Job served God enormously faithful in the midst of incredible trials. He never saw the Messiah. Moses gave the law. And Moses had to write that, you know, you're not going to listen to me, but one day there's going to be a prophet who will arise and you'll listen to him. Did Moses live to see that day? Nope, he didn't. He didn't. Moses Moses didn't get to meet Jesus. Well, not until he got to heaven anyway. And then he, 
gets to talk to him on the mount, right? David, David writes about the Messiah. Does David meet the Messiah? Nope. He's promised that one of your descendants, he never meets the Messiah. Elijah never meets the Messiah. Isaiah, who, Isaiah writes Isaiah 53. He's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Isaiah, did you get to meet him? Not here. Daniel, think about Daniel and his great prophecies and as he lays out the history of how this is all going to go and, and all of this marvelous things that Daniel writes in his book. Does he get to meet him? No. Nope. Ezekiel, I mean, just, you just go down through the list. None of them, none of them. Great men. Men of great prominence and position, many of them. They don't get to meet Jesus. They don't get to, they don't get to live to see the Messiah. And he's looking now at the seventy. We don't know anything about the 70, right? We don't, there's no names. We, these are just common, everyday people who believed Jesus was the Messiah. And he's looking at them going, you guys, I mean, are you paying attention to what you have here? Are you really thinking about what it is you're witnessing? You are witnessing history. The new covenant is being introduced. The old covenant is passing away. All of those laws, all of, all of that whole thing that, you, that was just to death, by the way, all it did was point out what a wicked sinner you were to drive you to God for salvation. But all of that is going to pass away. When Jesus hangs on the cross, his last words, it is finished. What's finished is law. The curse of the law is now gone. It's now grace. It's grace now from here on in. It's all grace. So, under the Old Testament law, you had to be Jewish. Guess what? Now we as Gentiles can finally be welcomed in. Once God gave the law to Moses, there was no other way to get to God than through the law. If you wanted to get, if you weren't lived under the old covenant, praise God, we didn't live under the old covenant. We would all have to be Jewish proselytes. You didn't just get to go out and, and serve God. Look at Ruth. Ruth says, to Naomi, your God will be my God. I No, I'm going, to, I'm going to come over here. The only path to God was through the law and through Moses and through keeping. Well, you didn't get saved through keeping the law. I'm not implying that. But in order to get to God, you had to go through Israel. You had to go through the nation of Israel. You had to become an, a, a proselyte in order to truly worship God, in order to fulfill the obligations God laid on his people. Just want to be clear, salvation's always by faith. The Jews only got saved by faith. No one got saved by the law. But you were obligated to keep the law. Not now. Not now. Praise God, right? Through the death of Christ, we as Gentiles can now serve God. The question is, do we, do we pay attention I mean, those who are not my people are now my people. And those who were, it was said unto them, you are not my people, they're now called the children of God. That's us. Do we have an appreciation for that? Do we have an appreciation for what we have in Christ? Jesus turns to his disciples and says, you know, you should, you should really appreciate what you've got going on here. Jesus turns to us and says the same thing. Do we have a great appreciation do we have an appreciation for the day and age in which we live? I mean, you really stop. I, first of all, if you haven't, turn off the TV. Just, just shut that thing off. Do not become obsessed with it. If you're full of anxiety and you're full of just, just 
fear and concern and worry and, okay. How many of you have heard of murder hornets? How many of you have heard of murder, the murder hornets? Not everybody, but they were really in the news there for just the murder hornets, you know, from what, China or something, right? Yeah, everybody's nodding there, yeah. You know how many of the, did you actually read the article, you know how many of those they found here in the United States? Four, five, so far, that's, that's it. It's happened a few of them escaped from something or not. And yet here we are, the whole country knows about them. Oh, murder hornets, you know? Quick, close the windows, don't go outside. You know what I mean? It's, it's, okay, you know what? That's how the news is. The news finds some little thing that is going to get you to click on it. And so they take this small, isolated, little incident that may be very important, certainly, to the people involved in it, but then they make it sound like, oh, boy, you better not go outside. You might have murder hornets in your backyard. Uh, yeah, no, not, not, not. But it sure sells newspapers. It sure makes you click on the links. It, it, it just captivates us all. This is how... The things work. I, shut it off. Take a deep breath. And actually look at what you've got. Have you really stopped for a moment and thought about the day and age in which we live? I mean, really? Uh, let me just go through some things, and no particular order here. I just want some things that we need to be thankful for. Stop being disgruntled and miserable and fearful and anxious. and uh, Please, lay that aside. And just take a second and think about how unbelievably great we have it. Okay. In no particular order. Transportation. My, my kids are here from North Carolina. They just drove here. It took them, you know, a day or so. Can you imagine if we were still riding around on horses? I mean, you know, I, I could see them once in their lifetime once they moved off to North Carolina. Maybe, you know. You could get in a plane. You could be here in hours. Really think about that. How small the world is. We go, all the stuff that we can go see. Praise God. We have cars and planes and trains. I don't take those things for granted. This is just recent. Think about refrigeration. I hope you like salt because, you know, without refrigeration, everything is going to be preserved with salt. That's, you just pour massive amounts of salt on meat and it'll actually, you can eat it for a while. Not sure that's necessarily good for you, but it does preserve the meat. Uh, No, we have refrigeration. You can actually go down to whatever the grocery store is that you go to. And you know what? Whether raspberries are in season or out of season, doesn't matter. You can still buy raspberries. You You can still buy apples. Doesn't matter. In season, out of season. You know, in the Old Testament where they sacrificed animals, one of the reasons they sacrificed animals in a central place was because you better eat the meat. And you better get a crowd. And here's the feast. We're going to have the sacrifice. And you know, a whole burnt offering. There were whole burnt offerings. But on the whole, you didn't offer whole burnt offerings. You would offer the ox. And the priest would get his pick of the meat. And then, and you would throw the innards and things. The skin would go on and it would burn. But the rest of the meat, well, you, you better get chomping here. This is all part of the worship of God. Everyone sat down and had a huge feast and said, praise God. He's abundantly blessed us. Past the stake. And you know, that's part of the sacrificial system. Gather the fam and we're going to have a feast. We're going to eat until we're ready to die here because of the blessing of God. 
It's all part of it. No refrigeration. We have refrigeration. The AC, the AC is running. Could you imagine what we'd be doing in here without the AC? I mean, oh my goodness, you know. The AC was not working yesterday for just a, just a we, we found what it was and fixed it. Imagine sitting here, just no AC. Don't take that for granted. We have computers. We have printers. We have phones. We have little computers that run around with us all the time. Don't spend too much time with that thing. But I, I just imagine how wonderful that makes our lives. We, we don't have slaves anymore. It's good. Slavery is not a good thing. But I don't know about you, but I got a washer dryer. That would certainly take the job of, of a slave, right? You got one slave doing the washing, one slave doing the drying, hanging stuff up. I don't, know, I don't have to do that. I, no one has to tend the fire at my house. I actually have an oven. Can you imagine? You know, turn the dial. Wow, heat pours right out of the thing. It's quite the deal. I got a microwave. I suspect you do too. Oh, and I don't have to do dishes anymore. I have a dishwasher. Just, you know, rinse them, stick them in there, push the button, and off it goes. I have a vacuum cleaner. These things are ours. We... You can go on the internet and find out anything you want to know. You can find out stuff you don't want to know. The access to knowledge. 500 years ago, you were lucky to own a book. You were lucky to be literate and know how to read. The vast majority of mankind 500 years ago had no idea how to read. Now you can read anything you want. You can read anything. And they'll translate it for you. What an amazing time to be alive. Blessed are those who live in this day and age, right? This is no time to be filled with worry and anxiety and fear and, and all oh, the world's coming to an end and isn't it awful? I, really? Is your life coming to an end? Is your life miserable and awful? Or are you just watching the box that just wants to scream about how life is miserable and awful someplace else? And you bring that into your house and you, and you internalize that. Turn that thing up. We have music. Can you imagine we have the greatest music ever and the same little thing you're making phone calls with can store hundreds if not thousands of hours of music on that, of the best music out there. Paintings. You don't have to go to the Louvre to see the Mona Lisa. You can just go online. You could probably get a better picture of the Mona Lisa online than you get in person. We've got the camera taking the picture, it blows it up. You know, it's we have access to entire art collections without ever leaving the comfort of your living room. The healthcare system. Everybody complains about it, but you know, really, you know, we have access to doctors and medicine, and you just drive down to the pharmacy and, and prescribe you all kinds of stuff. We have dental and optical. And, and Can you imagine living a thousand years ago, or probably considerably less? I don't know about you, but you know, you hit about 40 and you realize you can't read anymore. You know, you're holding stuff out there. You know? No optics. Sorry, you're more or less blind. You're walking around with a world of, of just a haze. Not us. They have operations. They can, they can actually get you so you don't have to wear glasses anymore. It's astounding. This is the day and age in which we live. This country, we have this government. I don't want to be partisan here. I'm not trying to make some right or left observation. We tend to, for the most part, lead quiet and peaceable lives and get to go about our business. 
That's the government in which we find ourselves in. Be thankful for it. Just be thankful. We are, in fact, secure in our homes and in our persons for the most part. For the most part, our courts do administer justice. Once in a while, they don't. But I'm glad to see it makes the news when they don't. You have to worry when it doesn't make the news. When corruption and, and, and two tiers of justice is so commonplace and bribes are so commonplace that they don't even report on them anymore, then you need to worry. We have clean water all over the place. We have free time. Free time. Free time. Do you know for most of mankind that there was no such thing as free time? And those of you who are our dear teenagers, you know the concept of a teenager is a recent thing. Most societies, by the time you're 13 or 14, you are an adult, and you need to go get a job and get to work. So when? This idea that you're just kind of, you know, footloose and fancy free for 8, 10, 12, 15, 20 years in there. You know, however long it takes you to finally get around to getting a job and get out of your mother's basement, you know. Um, that, that was not a time frame for most of mankind. Leisure time. The very idea that you would have few hours a day to go do whatever you want. This is, we need to realize how good we have it. Praise God we have it as good as we have it. Shut the thing off if all you, every time you watch it, all you feel is distressed and, and, and worried. Well, turn it off. Go step outside and look at the sunshine. Look around your house and look at the stuff you've got. And, pay, and praise God for your AC and for your electric lights and for the water that comes out of the sink and, and, and for the plumbing system that we have and the ability to take a shower. And I, it just goes on and on and on. Solomon would be jealous to have the lives we have. Jesus looks at his disciples and says to them, are you paying attention? Don't you understand? Think about the people who do not see the things which you see or hear the things which you hear or live the lives that you live. We live like kings and princes and princesses and queens. We live like royalty. We live better than royalty. Praise God for it. Be thankful. Jump up and down and go, thank you, Lord, I can't believe you've taken this great care of me. Jesus looked at his disciples and says, are you paying attention? Are you actually paying attention to what's going on here? Are you looking at the life you've got? Because you need to. This is, this is what Jesus says to his disciples. Are you really appreciating what you have? It's a great message, and it's a great message to us. Be appreciative. Really be appreciative. Really. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful. You do truly take great care of us. From the new covenant to just the, the unbelievable abundance you have just poured out on us. The, the, we, don't know, we don't even know what famine is. We get, we get one virus that looks like it might kill off a, a few of us. And, and as a nation, we panic. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be wise and to be responsible, but to be filled with gratitude 
for how amazingly well you have taken care of us. May we be people who just desire to love you and to serve you and to speak of how great a God you are. Give us the wisdom to appreciate and to see the things that are so plainly before us and to thank you. Just thank you. What a great God you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.